one thing real quick. How many men or women have served this nation during time of war in military? Gentlemen there, right? Praise God. So easy to be taken for granted. We have World War II veterans that are still among us in every other war since, and especially my generation, we'd be so connected from that. We so easily forget. I've had a son-in-law, and my son has served during the time of war. My son-in-law did two, two, actually three tours of duty, one in Iraq and uh, two in Afghanistan. We can forget, even right now, we could be having young people who are risking their lives for, for our freedoms, and we need to remember that. We need to appreciate that. The Apostle Paul, once again, he's chained to a Roman guard in a prison, but nonetheless, he's writing this letter, and his purpose in writing this letter is so that you would have joy, and if Apostle Paul can have joy as he's in jail, basically, how much more so should we have joy? But what we allow, we allow the little things to eat away at our joy, and all of a sudden we find ourselves robbed of that joy. And we become spiritual Eeyores, just, oh, another day, I guess i got to get up and go to work. And, and we can be like that. We can be whiners and complainers, and I remember my past religious experience, it looks like the leaders had bit a lemon, just with that sour face all the time, and who wants anything to do with that? But God is telling us in this epistle that our Christian experience, our Christian life should be anything but bitter, should be anything but Eeyore. It should be joy in the Lord and the joy that we have and what Jesus Christ has done for us. We so easily lose perspective, though. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We're going to read all the way down through to verse 3 today. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul says, finally here, you have to remember, Paul's a preacher. When they say finally, that means it's about halfway over. And we're about halfway through this epistle. The final thought that Paul wants to convey to the church is summed up as man's joy is founded upon sound biblical doctrine. It's not founded upon our works, never has it been founded upon anybody's works, but it has been founded upon the doctrines that lead us to what God has done in our lives and what God continues to do in our lives. Remember, we defined as we started this study and. uh in Philippians, joy is a supernatural delight in God and God's goodness and the knowledge thereof. We have trials, and we so easily allow trials and tribulations to rob ourselves of joy. But trials and tribulations are that which takes place to define the fabric of Christ within us and who Christ is causing us to be. And joy is supposed to be a byproduct of that. It is in the Apostle Paul's life. He's changed to the guard, but he knows that the word of God is going out. He understands that the churches are thriving and moving forward, that God's word and God's will is being accomplished, and that's enough. That's enough. If he's got to sacrifice some, some, some physical comfort, displeasures, even his life, he's willing to do that for what God desires to do in the hearts of mankind. 
Jesus tells his disciples about the personal relationship that they can have with God, and then he tells them in John chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full, that you would have joy overflowing in your life. So, God asks, you have joy in your life. Do you have joy in your life today? Examine yourself, don't raise your hand, don't really want an answer. Oh, I'd like you to answer yourself. Do you have joy? Or have you allowed situation and circumstances to rob you of your Christian joy? If you've done so, that's sin in your life. And when I say sin in your life, you've missed the mark. You've missed the mark of what God desires, God's standard for perfection in your life. Because what God desires is for you to live a joyous Christian life. And again, tradition, that's not what tradition has said, that we're supposed to be serious and stoic. That joy, well, we are to be well focused upon what God... Well, yeah, you're supposed to be all that. There's no doubt about that. But God wants you to have a joyful life. Jesus just said it. He wants you to have full joy. The doctrine of the world, well, that's the problem. We so allow the world to infiltrate into the church and even into our personal lives. And the doctrine of the world says, well, find joy through sexual relations. That's what society's been doing for the last however many years. But as all they've ended up with, what that thought was going to bring them happiness and joy, it's caused damaged emotions. And God uses the sexual relationship to fuse husband and wife together. But the problem is, when you have many, you're fused and then you're broken, fused and you're broken. And there's pieces, emotionally speaking and physically speaking, of us attached everywhere. And then we just find an emptiness in which that which God called, or at least created, to bring joy in our lives through the marriage that he has instituted. Doctrine of the world says... Find joy through building your future security. So then I'll build and I'll be working on that and storing and, and, and pigeonholing money and, and, and just trying to get to that point when I've got, I've got financial prosperity and I no longer have to worry. And I'll find joy in that, but the problem is how much is really enough? We've never really been able to figure that out. And then even what we got, we saw with the, low, or the recent crash that even that can be so taken away. So if your joy is on physical pleasure, if your joy is on the security that money brings, well, your joy can easily be robbed from you. Doctrine of God says you'll find joy in trusting the Lord and seeking after Him. The doctrine of the world says find joy through finding inner peace. But the thing is, we look into ourselves, we see the inner man, and it's not a pretty picture. And there's no peace to be found there. The doctrine of the world says, make your own happiness. But happiness is always predicated upon situations and circumstances. And in the majority of our lives, the situations and circumstances are always bad. Even in Job, it says man is, 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 well, he's born to evil just as surely as sparks fly upward. It's just a, a natural part of who we are. It's sinful nature. And if that's the case, then... What percentage of my life am I going to have joy? Again, if it's predicated upon situations and circumstances, and what, 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 what percentage of my life am I going to be suffering hardship and, and the lack of joy? Well, the greater majority of it. Bottom line, happiness is based upon situations and circumstances, but joy is based upon an inner quality of delight in God. And do you have that inner quality? Inner quality and the delight of God. What does that mean? 
understanding that God loves you even when you were contrary to him. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means is while you were still slapping God in the face through your, your attitude and your conduct, nonetheless, he still died for you. you were that, it was as if you were the one who nailed the, the nails through his hands and, and stuck the javelin up through to his side. Yet he still died for you. It's about this Lord who ascended to heaven but sent his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a guarantee. A guarantee that I'm his and that he is mine. It's the knowledge that he will never leave me nor forsake me. That even if I'm in a dungeon, and we've all been in the dungeon before, even if I'm chained to a Roman guard, and we've all been there before, that he's there. He's amongst me. And so Paul wasn't looking at the dungeon because that would have bummed him out. He wasn't looking at the Roman guard. He's keeping his eyes upon the prize. He's wanting, even in that situation and circumstance, and he knows he's coming up upon the end, he's wanting to finish well. He wants to finish well in his Christian life. And that's a problem in the Bible. So many people didn't really finish well. You look at one of the best examples of of who a believer is, King David, but nonetheless, didn't finish real well. Bathsheba came towards the end of his life. His family fell apart towards the end of his life. And you look at Saul, Saul didn't finish well at all, and that Saul, well, he was even seeking after the occult. And you can look through the scriptures time and time again that they didn't finish well. Lord, help us to be a people who press towards that finish line, who finish well in our Christian life. And you'll do that if you make God the priority. But we are indignated in in that which tries to rob us of, of really what our priorities are to be. We've got this media that comes streaming into our lives, and we need this and we need that, and if I don't have this and that, then I'm not all that I could be. Well, Christ has made me all that I ever need to be, and I need to believe that. I need to receive that deep within our heart. So how does a Christian lose his joy? Well, they've turned from delighting in God to mourning a circumstance of some sort or receiving from the world. How is joy sustained? Go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll go back there in a little bit as well. How is joy sustained? Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. The seed spoken of here is the word of God. The good ground is a fertile heart. And he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So I'm not to look at fruit production, but I'm just to look, am I producing fruit? And the idea is, is the receiving of the word of God and then the doing of the word of God. And I guarantee you, if you're not receiving the word of God, but just as importantly, if you're not doing the word of God, you're not going to have joy in your life. Or the joy that you have is just going to be superficial and it's just going to be fleeting. We are people who have been designed, as we have been born again, to consume God's word and to do God's word and to produce that fruit. Once again, a fruit tree, fruit tree is not a cannibal. It does not receive of its own fruit. The fruit is put there for the benefit of others. And as, well, just out in nature, you see an animal will come, partake of that fruit, enjoy that fruit, and will fertilize and plant the seeds somewhere else, and there's another fruit tree that grows. And we are to be like that in the Christian life. Take the animal part out of it, but nonetheless, we're to produce the fruit and see more trees grow and more fruit produce. You know what that's called? That's called revival. 
And the reason we don't have revival in our land today is because people are not consuming the Word of God. They're consuming entertainment. They're consuming good ideas, consuming things that make them feel better for at least a short period of time, but they're definitely not going out and doing God's Word because they don't have God's Word, and because of that, there's no fruit that is being produced. Your Christian joy will be in proportion to the time that you spend seeking after Him in all things. And we can't be looking for that one thing as the Pharisees were doing, but we need to find joy in all things, the good things and the hard things as well. So why does it seem that joy is lacking in the church today? Well, still in Matthew chapter 13, this time backing up. Now, we see the other seeds that were planted. And there's solutions that are embedded in these descriptions as I go through them, and I'll point them out. But the solution isn't really... Now, the church has to make sure, and I've looked at it from that perspective. Are we doing these things as a church? But really what I'm finding out, it's not the church, it's the individual. You know, we need to do this and we need to do that, but what are the people willing to do? See, if you're willing to enter into a deeper relationship with God, God is there to receive you, but I can't push you into that. It's got to be you having that heart to do so. So it says in verse 18, and really the parable of the seeds here is a cross-section of the church. It says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Now, once again, each of these instances are supposedly a believer, at least somebody who appears to be a believer. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, This is he who receives seed by the wayside. And so what I've told the church before, we've got to give people understanding. But you know what? We do that. We have three Bible studies a week, plus we have small group Bible studies. I do a study Wednesday morning at 6.30 for the guys. We're going through Revelation right now. So there's plenty of opportunities for understanding, but the responsibility is on you. The responsibility is on you. Are you seeking after the understanding that God has made available to you? And not just at this church. Look how rich their community is in churches. Just look at Calvary Chapels. You look at Calvary Chapels across the United States and they have a dot where there's a Calvary Chapel. In this area, there's just one big huge dot. And so there's no excuse. Look at K-Wave, the radio, KKLA, and so on and so forth. And so the ability to find understanding is there. If you don't have understanding, you're not going to have joy. Verse 20 But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so again, Apostle Paul is the perfect example. He's going through that hard time, but he's still got joy. He's got deep roots into God and who God is in his life. There's so many superficial believers that, well, you'd have to really convince me that they're really uh, believers. And so what I've encouraged the church is we've got to disciple people and see that they have roots that grow deep. But I'm telling you, you've got to have the heart to be discipled. You've got to have that heart that hungers and thirsts for knowledge. Again, the responsibility ultimately is yours. I've got to stand before God and make sure these things are available, and they are. We'll have a a faith 101 class right after service today. We've got small groups once again, give you that opportunity. Women's retreat is next Sunday. All of these opportunities to grow deep roots. 
Then verse 22, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. And I've told the church, we've got to keep the world out of the church. And that is a problem today. The church has become married to the world, and it's been to the detriment of the church. But I'm not talking to really the church as much as I'm talking to the individuals within the church as far as not what the church needs to do, but what the church needs to do. And as individuals, what do I need to do? I need to forsake the world. I mean, I can just use my life as an example, at least for me, because once I got saved, that's what God started doing. He started pulling off pieces of my life, little pieces of the world, little things that weren't necessary and even contrary to my Christian life. And sometimes it hurt. It hurt. Sometimes he picked it off and I pulled it back and stuck it back on. But God is faithful. And God, well, he's still picking at me today, but it'll be a lifetime experience. But those who have lost joy, they've lost joy because what the world have to, has to offer, and what is that described as? It's described as deceitfulness. How many of you time have you guys bought into that? You saw the commercial. I need one of those. One of those is going to change my life. I'll be happy when I get one of those. And so finally you get one of those, and it breaks. Or it sits in the corner because, well, you never really got any joy from one of those. The only place you're truly going to find joy is not from one of those, but from, from him and seeking hard after him. We here have 12 services a month. How many do you attend? 12 services. We have Sunday morning, Sunday evening. We have midweek. There's others as well, but just look at those. 12 services a month. I mean, just your proportion is seeking after God. And your life, out of 12 opportunities to get into God's word, to fellowship with God's people, how many of those services do you attend? If you lack joy today, I have a couple other questions here. First, are you right with God? Are you right with God? In your relationship, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you just kind of entered in and tried to get right with God through osmosis? That doesn't really work. You know, it's the old joke, just because you're in a donut shop doesn't mean you're a cop, just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car, just because you're in a church does not mean that you're a Christian. You do not, sorry, there's a police officer here. Because <laughs> I'm illegally parked out front, and I don't want to get to, no, just kidding. But it's serious, it's dead serious. Just because you're here does not mean you're right with God. You have an opportunity to get, to, right, to get right with God, but just because you're here, you're not doing God any favors. You need to be here because you desire to be here and you want to grow here. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Every Sunday, figuratively speaking, you sat in that church and you called me Lord, Lord, but you never did the things that I said. I, I spoke to you from the pulpit, and I spoke to you from the pulpit, and I spoke to you from the pulpit. I convicted you in that pulpit, but once you walked out of those doors, you forgot it all. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? I remember there was somebody that had come to our church a few times. I had known them even before we started the church, and so that's why I recognized them. I hadn't seen them for a year or so, and they came back to church, and I was talking to them, and they were saying something, I don't know, we were talking about whatever, and she says, yeah, and I saw a friend, they asked me, what church do I go to? And I said, Calvary Chapel, Ontario. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. But they considered, it was just kind of funny that they considered themselves to be a member of the church, when in actuality, they really aren't a member of any church. They need to be a member of God's church. They need to enter in and to get plugged in. 
if you like joy today, are you really living in righteousness and peace? Just look at it as God's rightness. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This means trusting God's word to be your standard for a moral life and then living that. It's living under the shadow of God's wings. It's living under, well, it's just being obedient to the Lord. Again, Israel, they're led out of Egypt into the, into the, well, out into the desert. The desert can be pretty hot during the day and it can be pretty cold at night, but that's okay. Because there's God and He's leading them. He's a cloud during the day. And as long as they're underneath that cloud, underneath the shelter of God's wing, they're finding comfort and they're finding peace. He's a pillar of fire at the night. And as long as they're in proximity to that pillar of fire at night, they're living a blessed life. But what does God give us the opportunity to do? He gives us the opportunity to wander off. And even though they find comfort in those areas, they still wander off. We can be people so easily wander off. I must be trusting in God's word so much that it becomes a standard in my life. It becomes the standard, the moral standard to how I conduct my life. As I make my Bible my guide for my decisions, I will present to him a life that is acceptable based upon his word. Still going to heaven, I'm not saying we're doing this for salvation, I'm saying we're doing this because we are, are saved. If God is truly my Lord, then I need to be his servant. But a result of all of that will be joy. If you become a slave of the world, then you'll have a very anxious life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. We ought to get there in about six months. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your mind, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. It will guard your mind. And that's an amazing thing. Guard my heart, and you can say, well, yeah, you know, I'm connected with the Lord and all this. But mind speaks about, well, the mind is affected by so much today. I mean, somewhere there's some parents who, well, they, they poured into their kids and they educated their kids. And their kids came time to go off to college and they applied to college and they got accepted and they were excited about going to this particular college. And, well, some of those that decided to go to Santa Barbara were murdered yesterday. Just going about their lives. Going about their lives. And some car that just driving by, this guy starts opening fire. He ran some over. It was just a horrible thing. And it can really mess with your mind, if you will. But here we're told that to be anxious for nothing. And some of those things that can cause anxiety to well up in our lives are things, big things such as that. But God says here, be anxious for nothing. For nothing. Even the big things. He says, I've got reason and I've got purpose. And we know we're not always going to know that until we're with him. But he says, if you're truly dependent upon me, I'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, through a relationship that is connected with Christ Jesus. If you lack joy today, are you really in the word of God or is it just something superficial? Do you look at God's word or do you read God's word? Read God's word. I remember when my son was in the Marine Corps. My son, who never wrote, didn't really even pay a whole lot of attention to us while he was living with us, especially in his teenage years. All of a sudden, he's in boot camp. When you're in boot camp with the Marines, you're completely isolated. The day that the instructor comes to take him off, you just say goodbye because you're not seeing him for three months. My wife and I, we partied down for three months. 
But then all of a sudden, these strange things started entering into our home. It's called letters. Most of you don't, you know, not an email. Most of you don't remember that they, they come in these envelope things and you've got to put a stamp. They charge you for doing every one of those things. But there's a handwritten letter from him. And it was kind of an exciting thing because, well, there's relationship. My wife, hey, we got a letter from Sean today. And so there was an excitement because you wanted to see what was going on in his life. It was the only way that you could possibly know. And so I even wrote a few letters to him. I haven't read a letter, written, <laughs> written a letter. I can't even say it anymore. Written a letter, and I don't know how long. But again, there's a relationship and that desire to know. And if you have a relationship with God, you'll read his letter. And you'll read his letter as if it is written to you because if you're a born-again believer, it truly is. Looking at the relationship between joy and the knowledge of God, Psalm 19, verse 8, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119, verse 14 I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. John 15, verses 10 through 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And so, if you lack joy, are you really trusting in the Lord? Are you really trusting in the Lord today? Or has everything around you become bigger than a relationship with God? Are you really diving into God's word and receiving God's word? Or has all of the words that are being, you're being bombarded with, have they become louder than God? Are you rejoicing in God through God's people? Or have the other relationships become more important than the relationships that you foster in the body of Christ? Your joy is predicated upon all of these things, as we see when we get ready to close. The idea for your future, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope, speaking of trusting in God for the future, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, with all of this in mind, what do we need to do? We'll look at verse 2. Beware of dogs... Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Dogs, evil workers, and mutilators. Sounds like a Stephen King novel. Who are these guys? These guys are the sore losers of a trial that occurred in determining the, mis the ministry to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 15. We're not going to turn there, but these are the Judaizers. We studied them as we went through the book of Galatians. They're the ones who, well, this grace and this mercy thing just wasn't quite enough. Now the word's going out to Gentiles, and Paul's saying Gentiles are getting saved. The word is being preached, and they're receiving, and they're getting right with God. But the problem is the Judaizers, and a Judaizer would be ones who are trying to make these new converts as Jews. These Judaizers are coming in behind them, and they're trying to overload them with works-based minister, or works-based religion. And they're pet thing was circumcision. Nothing like a good circumcision to rob yourself of joy. But the idea was, well, you've done that, you've gone that far, but if you want to go all the way, this is what you need to do. And you can take circumcision and remove it and add just about any other thing that religious practice likes to practice. My past religious experience, and my past religious experience, I was Catholic, as most of you know, before I got saved, there was no joy at all in, in my religious experience. There was no relationship with God. 
But again, that's all it was, was religious experience. It was memorizing this, it was doing that, and it was real heavy on the don't do that. And, well, as far as joy, I had no joy in serving the Lord, mostly because I didn't serve the Lord, because I didn't know the Lord. There was no joy in fellowshipping. I had to go to church every week because they said I had to or I would go to hell, and I didn't want to go to hell, so I went to church. I live like hell all during the week, but if I went to church, I wouldn't go there at the end. And so I, I would go there, but really wasn't all that motivated to go there. But I had a mother and father. Mother and father motiv- motivated me to go there, and that I didn't really have a choice. And then my mom would kind of nag me as I turned 18 and whatnot, that if you live in this house, you're going to go to the church. And so I went to the church just because you were supposed to. And so I finally moved out of the house, and mom would call, didn't see you in church today. It's like, oh, I just didn't feel like going. I got drunk last night, had a hangover this morning. But hangover or not, you need to be in church. And so I attended church hungover most of the time. And then I got married. And when you get married, you're supposed to go to church. And so we got married, and we started having children. So we went to church, and we did the church thing. No joy whatsoever. Longest hour of the week. It went on forever. And then they would have these special days of obligation that you had to go to church during the week every so often. And I would just cringe. Oh, today is Ash Wednesday, and I didn't want to go. have my face smeared with ash, but it's just what you're supposed to do. And so you go up there, and they smear your face with ash. When you get outside the building, you wipe it off, and you just did the thing that you're supposed to do because you were supposed to do the thing that you were supposed to do. And there was absolutely no joy. And then I heard of a friend of mine, Dave, Dave and Lynn. They were going to this new church down the street called Calvary Chapel. And Dave, Dave, who would never go to church at all, he's going to church three times a week. He's going to church twice on Sunday. I'm thinking Dave's gone over the deep end now. How can anybody possibly do that? But then I found out as I got saved. And and really, that's what it was that gripped my heart. And then I realized there's joy in the relationship with Jesus Christ. There's joy there. It's a concept concept that I never considered. Because again, that was the church that I attended before. They were pretty high on the Eeyore thing. You know, the priests were always just, they were very dogmatic and very... And then the the nuns, they were kind of like the original Darth Vader. (laughs) I've said before, when I saw one without her habit, I was surprised. That's a woman. I mean, I, I mean, I was about right, third grade or so, but I never really put two, two and two together. And they were mean. They were mean. We got caught playing with matches one time, and we were burning papers and stuff, and we got caught. One of the guys turned us in, ratted us out. And I'll never forget, we went into the principal's office, and our punishment was going to be a swat. She had a cricket paddle in the corner. And I'll never forget, I was in line, and they... No matter what, in the Catholic Church, or at least in Catholic school, they always put you in alphabetical order. My last name is a U, so I was always at the end, which in this case was worse, because I had to watch everybody. Some guys were coming out of there crying, but they didn't realize. I was no amateur in this. Hank Urcioli, he, he, he calloused me over pretty good. And so I got this woman. At this time, I knew they were women inside that big, all that, that big tent that they wore. And so she, and I, I'll never remember the guy in front of me. She's going back, and there's beads flying and material flying over, and whack, and ah! And so I go in there, and she goes, okay, bend over, put your hands on your knees. Whack! So I get up, and I start walking on. She goes, wait a minute, get back here. Why well, get another one? Just because I guess I didn't break down and cry like the other ones did. But I deserve the whacking 
don't get me wrong, I deserve that. But that was my church experience there. Every time I went in there, I got whacked. It's kind of like an Italian experience, but nonetheless. Every time I, and, and I don't mean convicted, because I wasn't convicted, it was just, it was just so dry, and it was just so boring. And then God grasped my heart. God grasped my heart. So then I started doing what Dave started, or had done. I started going to church three times a week, twice on a Sunday, and I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough because God grasped my heart and he brought joy into my life, especially at that time when my life was definitely robbed of joy. As for those who desire a joyous faith, verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so what Paul's saying, it's not about this physical circumcision that they're preaching. It's about the cutting away of the flesh from the heart of mankind. That's true circumcision that God desires, whether male or female, is the cutting away of the flesh out of our lives. And so to worship God, we are to worship God we know in spirit, who worship God in the spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is speaking of here in 1 Thessalonians is the totality of who you are, body, soul, and spirit. But here we've just been told in verse 3 of Philippians that we've got to worship God in the spirit. See, I can't worship God first through this body. Works. Works mean nothing before a holy God. Now, I enjoy it when my kids do things for me. Well, it was cute when they were little anyway. And it was be a blessing, but I didn't need any of the things they gave me. The artwork they gave me, when, you know, if anybody else would look at it, it's not all that good. My, my grandson, Noah, every time he does a craft here, he gives it to me, and I've got him on a cabinet inside my office, and I, I'm excited about him, but nobody else would be. Our works, our works before a holy God, I mean, i got to place my works next to Jesus Christ on the cross. It pales in comparison. And so apart from worshiping God in the spirit, I can't worship him physically, and I can't worship him emotionally either, although we may try, but I cannot worship God with this soul. Soul speaks of my personality or my emotions. Emotions can be temporary and contrived. We can kind of try and build people up, have somebody come out on the stage and warm you up for the worship team and get all excited, get all in a, in a big and a big whatever you get into, hubbub I was going to say, but is that a word today still? But nonetheless, get all excited, but you're going to get let down, and once you get let down, you'll probably be lower than when you came in. And if we're just worshiping God in our emotions, true worship comes from our spirit, that part of us that communes with God, that part of us that we saw in our study of Ephesians chapter 2 was dead. We were spiritually dead, but God, but God entered our life, and caused us to become alive. Because of the great love with which he had for us, he came and he has given us life. And that life is that which, well, was missing in my life before, but now it's that which worships the Lord. Because I've read the Bible before I was saved, didn't have a clue what I was reading, but once I I got saved, now the Spirit is alive and these words are making sense. Yeah, I could sit out in the congregation and sing the songs, but I was just singing songs. But now it opens the avenue to the true worship of God because I'm spiritually alive now. 
these things that God has done in my life, and as he has done these things in my life, and I, re, and I understand the value of them, then emotions can enter in, and then works can enter in. But first, there's got to be that spiritual life with the Lord. And once there's that spiritual life with the Lord, then we'll find joy. What is Christian joy? I'll tell you what it's not. Christian joy is not based upon the world. Because the world can only offer you a feigned happiness, which is emotion-driven. Joy is spirit-driven. The problem with the happiness that the world offers, it dies at death when you lose your finances and when your health goes upside down. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, as Christian people, we have no right to be in a state of melancholy or unhappiness because the world is as it is. We have no, whether it's war, whether it's murder, we have no right to allow that to rob our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is vile, and when you come to an understanding of that and you receive that reality, and then when you receive Jesus Christ and understand his reality, you'll have joy regardless of situations or circumstances. John 16, 32 through 33, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and you will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. And now you hear even with that, angels playing harps in heaven. <laughs> Christian joy is not to be stoic. We're not, God did not create us just to, just to endure it. Just, all the, just to get through all of this hardship and all this garbage that lives offers so I can finally get into heaven. We are not to endure just trying to make the best of a bad situation. We are to prevail in the midst of this world. We are to be salt. We are to be lights. We are to be witnesses. We are to be vessels of the Holy Spirit. That being said, thirdly, Christian joy is to have no fear. Fear is probably one of the biggest things that rob us of our joy. Fear of not having control. Fear of just being left to the whims of man. Fear, fear of not realizing the magnitude of who God is and the sovereignty that he exercises over our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What most of us fear is associated with failure. With Jesus, there is no failure. 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then, what is joy? What is joy? In the New Testament sense, it's a state in which we have interactions with Jesus Christ and understand the value of that. We are inhabited and have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the knowledge of the Father working in our lives and governing over our lives. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. Now, I can remember upon meeting my wife. I didn't know her at first, but we got to know one another. And as I got to know her, as she got to know me, there was joy there. There was a joy that couldn't, you know, I, I used to call her and talk to her on the telephone for hours at a time. I don't think I've talked to anybody for hours at a time in, in 30 years. 
But we would have these conversations and sometimes we would just sit there and listen to each other breathe. You know, it was just, you just had that desire to be around one another. Whenever you had any, any spare time, you were there and there was joy. But then, most people who don't build upon a relationship, joy starts to fade away and all of a sudden joy is no longer. And just as surely as it can happen in our marriages, it definitely can happen with the Lord. And it's not that the Lord has left, it's that we have left that right relationship with God. And so Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you have died. You died on the day that you were saved. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, you came alive, but you died to the old man. Specifically, what is it that brings joy to our lives? Obedience, and just going to go through this list and we'll close. Obedience to Jesus Christ as our Lord will bring joy to your life. Again, John 15, 11, these things have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Prayer, honest prayer. When I say honest prayer, I mean putting aside everything else and coming to the realization that you are talking with God and God has an ear to hear what you're saying. Prayer will bring joy to your life. John 16, 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may, be, that your joy may remain full. Thirdly, joy is a response and a reaction of the soul to a proper knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's in your life, but it's also in the lives of another. How do I find joy in the life of somebody else? Because joy also comes about as we share our faith. I guarantee you, if you're not obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not praying, and if you're not sharing your faith, and we'll get to the last one just in a minute, if you're not doing those three things there, you're not going to have joy in your Christian life. You'll have moments of happiness, but you will not have constant joy. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, look at John. John's excited about this. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, this life was manifest. It was revealed. John is saying, I was there. I, I had my head on his chest. I, I heard his voice. I touched him. I had a real relationship with him. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, you also must have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Jesus came, He's saying. He came in the flesh. Messiah has come. The sins of man, the sins of mankind have been dealt with that. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And John's wanting everybody to know because he's looking at society and seeing society's always bummed out. Seeing there's always some tragedy, a travesty that is robbing us of joy because, well, there is no joy in the flesh. There is no joy in the world, but there is joy in Jesus Christ. And it's one of those things that, yeah, I have to receive that myself, but I also have to give that out. As I am sharing my faith, I will find joy. And then lastly, and this list isn't all inclusive, but lastly, fellowship with other Christians will bring joy. Like-minded people, so that when life starts to get you down, you're not so much praying, sharing, or being obedient to the Lord anymore. You've got people to encourage you and to strengthen you. Second John, verse 12, 
Having many things to write you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face to you that our, our, both them and him, that our joy may be full. And so it's not just, well, we've got an improper perspective of that. Well, I'm not going to really make it to church today. Well, why not? You need to be there. You need to be fed. Yeah, I know, but you know what? I, I've heard what he's teaching before. I, I was there the last time he taught in Philippians, which was about in 2004, I think. I was there the last time, and I can even remember when he started going into chapter 3. I, I like the, the other part where Paul said he used to be a, a Pharisee of Pharisees and all that, but I'm just not kind of into whatever he's going to talk about today. I heard it before. Still got the notes in my Bible. Yeah, well, maybe that's not why God was bringing you to church that day. Maybe God was bringing you to church that day so that you could remember what was said so long ago so that afterwards as you're sitting back there as you're drinking coffee and eating donuts, you can minister to somebody. Maybe somebody is here today that needs what you know, needs what you got. I'm spiritually speaking once again. As the Lord has worked in your life, as God has delivered to you, maybe he was going to have you deliver to somebody else. Because the church isn't just what comes from this pulpit. The church is what comes from one another as we're ministering to one another. That's why he encourages you. If you see somebody there sitting by themselves, go up and ask them how they're doing. Because what if they're not doing? What if they're not doing well at all? What if that person's been crushed by life or even their own sin or disobedience? And what if God was calling you to go over there and that which you've received before from the Lord, he was wanting you to deliver to that person to strengthen them so that both of your joy may be full. Because see, when you do the work of ministry, whatever it is that God has called you to do, because I've done it, and then when you're done with it, there's just a joy about it. There's just a joy about being used by God. We've got to realize that joy. joy. Joy comes from the point in which heaven meets earth. And heaven meets earth through God's word and the obedience to it. Do you experience the place where heaven meets earth? Do you experience that place where God is touching earth? Touching earth in such a way that it changes and alters your life. Changing and alters your life as you meet God, but also as others are met by God through you. Because when you first met God, you didn't meet God directly. You met God through one of his ambassadors. And we are all to be ambassadors of the Lord. Joy comes at the point in which heaven meets earth. Quit worrying about what you can't do. Rejoice in what God has done and is going to do through you. Because God desires to do that which is exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or even what you think. God's beyond what you think. It's about the power of God. And when it's about the power of God, the possibilities, as they say, are endless. Father, once again, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us through your word. But, Father, it's not just in this place. It's in this place for a purpose. And so, Father, I pray for all believers that are here today. And just pray, Father, as we go out of this place, that, Lord, we will consider the things said. That, Lord, we will consider what is our joy predicated upon. And, Lord, those times when, when I'm absent of joy, why is that? Is it because I've wandered away? Is it because I'm not into your word? I'm I'm not praying and I'm not sharing? I I pray, Father, that you would reveal the reality of these things to the members of this body. And, Father, I pray that the end result would be joy in the body of Christ because it's a neat thing because joy, joy is definitely contagious. And so, Father, again, we've, we've got this weekend that we celebrate. And, Lord, we're all spending time with family and friends. I pray, Father, that you would give us insight. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. 
I pray that you would enable us, Lord, in the ministry to unsaved family and friends, that we would be that witness. I pray, Father, for those who have faithfully served this nation, that once again, just a special blessing upon them, those who have sacrificed life and limb. And I do pray, Father, that we would take that time to consider through prayer those who are even serving right now. And so, Father, again, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we have. Bless us, Lord, as we move forward from this point. Doing your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?